1: Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this beautiful Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, we'll be joined by Angela Calla, author of The Mortgage Code, who will help us all to understand more about the rules involved in buying or selling a property. But first, here are some more of the top consumer stories we're following this week. Belmont Meat Products is recalling its Kirkland Signature Brand Harvest Burger Gourmet Blend Veggie Burgers due to the possible presence of pieces of metal In the products, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency says the burgers were sold at stores in Quebec, Ontario, here in British Columbia, and possibly other provinces. The recalled products come in 1.7 kilogram packages with a best before date of April 23rd this year. The CFIA says there have been reported injuries associated with the consumption of the burgers. However, it didn't provide much. Further information, anyone who purchased the Kirkland Signature Brand Harvest Burger Gourmet Blend Veggie Burgers is advised to either throw them out or return them to the place of purchase the CFIA says it's making sure the recalled product is also being removed at the store. BC Ferries confirmed this week they are developing a pilot project to add beer and wine to its Pacific buffet menu. Passengers should be able to purchase a glass of beer or wine on BC Ferries as early as this summer. Not many other details yet, but an internal staff memo suggests the project will launch in June on three boats, the Spirit of British Columbia, the Spirit of Vancouver Island, and the Coastal Celebration. uh, These are all on the Tawasin Sports Bay run. Customers, of course, 19 years of age and older, will have the option of buying two drinks with a meal in the Pacific buffet, the memo says. Now, BC Ferries, you may recall, used to serve drinks in the dining room on the Swartz Bay Run years ago and then stopped. Washington State Ferries have been serving beer and wine for years on their vessels. Now, remember, this is a pilot project, so if you want things to last a little longer than your annual trip to the island this summer, just enjoy responsibly, and we'll see where this takes us. Mind you, hopefully, uh, this will all come after BC Ferries sorts out its, uh, shall we say, congestion. Question issues. Friday morning was just crazy. For the first time since it decided to cancel the Surrey LRT project, TransLink is asking us for our feedback on the planned Fraser Highway extension of SkyTrain, the expo line from King George and Surrey out to Langley Centre. A recently launched online survey wants public opinion on the level of importance factors like speed, travel times, comfort, safety, technological choices that best address air pollution, other issues, economic development, all sorts of issues. Issues and the reduction of urban sprawl. I took this online survey yesterday. It took me less than five minutes. Now that survey ends next Friday, the 26th, and there will also be on-site TransLink presence at select transit hubs in Surrey and Langley during the consultation period. And of course, there are TransLink people all over Surrey this afternoon at the Vaisakhi uh, f- festivities. So if you have some thoughts on this very expensive SkyTrain extension, now is the time to say your piece. Oh, and the New York Auto Show has been on all this week, but the big news has been from off-site in the Big Apple, as Italian car maker Pinin Farina released its $2.5 million Battista electric hypercar. Which the maker, check this out, the maker says will hit 60 miles an hour faster than a Formula One car and hit 180 miles an hour faster than a fighter jet. 2020 is the deadline for the new cars to hit the road, but there will only ever be 150 of them, 50 available here in North America. Of that small number, half are already reserved. This is an electric car, too, with a single charge range of almost 300 miles. But Where on earth do you go for a drive in a car that can do zero to 60 in two seconds? I don't know. I'm going to cost you $2.5 million before you get to that driving issue. Those are some of the stories we're taking a look at and following this week. We'll have a few more for you as the hour goes along. But we'll pause right now and get ready for Angela Kalla and your calls. Coming right up on Vancouver Consumer, right here on CKNW. Welcome back to the program this Saturday afternoon of Easter weekend. I'm Sterling Fox, joined on the line by Angela Kalla, author of The Mortgage Code, helping you move up the property ladder get the best mortgage, avoid costly mistakes, and save money. Angela Calla, welcome back to Vancouver Consumer.
0: Well, thank you. Good afternoon and happy Easter to all of those that are celebrating.
1: Well, the same to you, Angela. And thanks for joining us today. It's great to have you back with us. Uh, I want to start with with a blog that you wrote, The Day of the Last Federal Budget. You used the adjective underwhelming. Uh, and, it's, and we were expecting, we were hoping in an election year, the government, the federal government, might have been able to get a little more creative in terms of providing more accessibility to housing for more Canadians. There was chatter before the budget speech, you may recall, Angela, that they might take a look at reducing the amount of the stress test or reintroduce 30-year mortgages. They did neither. Uh, so you were underwhelmed.
0: I was completely underwhelmed. And, you know, they took the time to consult with industry and ignored us all. And it was a little bit disappointing because the only people that this impacts are is the middle class Canadians. It's not foreign investors that that impacts. Mm-hmm. It's hard working people who are trying to have home ownership. But with every action there is a reaction. And I do have to say that as a result of that, we have seen fixed interest rates come down, Mm -hmm. although that doesn't really impact the amount of qualification. It has also, because of the amount of inventory that has been on the market, in very simple terms, whenever you have any more than six months of inventory available in any specific neighborhood or marketplace, it becomes what's called a buyer's market. So what, what we have seen is we've seen people who were concerned because As rates were going up before that, we saw interest rates go up 50 to 80 basis points. So people were getting really concerned about their renewals coming up and the pre-approvals that we've had for up to three years have finally gotten the opportunity and have now been utilizing that supply that's in the market. But once we get down, this is a very simple piece of information for anybody who's shopping for a home. Okay. Once you get down to 4 months of inventory based on what's available in your specific neighborhood, you've now gone back to a seller's market. So 4 to 6 is a balanced market, 6 to 9 is a buyer's market, and at the present time of the of the budget, we had 9 months of product on the market
1: available. And, and what is the chance? that was about 6 weeks ago now has anything changed in terms of the status of the market?
0: I would say it's still a buyer's market. And it's very interesting because what sellers are having to really consider, is this the time for me to sell? Because it's really hard for them when they're looking a year ago and seeing how different the market was. If they actually want to sell now when they're listing their home, we're seeing the people that are successful. And again, remember those stats, because if your neighborhood is different, then this doesn't apply to you if you're in a very highly uh, desired neighborhood. But in the neighborhoods where there is that much supply on the market, people are having to price below the last sale in order to get activity. And, you know, we've had a, I'm thinking specifically of one pre-approval that we had where it was priced at what they thought to be a price to attract multiple offers and they got no offers mm. until they started looking at offers that were below what they thought would drive multiple offers. So it's been exciting to see those opportunities come to fruition for some, but it is still, um, a disappointment because we feel that the measures that our industry had discussed with government would have been more helpful for the majority of Canadians. Well, it's, it's,
1: it's and especially in an election year with uh, the, the the government in need of support of a lot of younger voters, it would have, it would have made perfect sense strategically. But they didn't do it. So let's talk about what's happening right now in mid-April uh, as we launch into the spring home buying season. Typically, Angela, the busiest time of any year. Do you expect 2019 to be as busy as previous? Years just in terms of market activity?
0: It was a slower start, and we've certainly seen it pick up, which is exciting again to see. Uh, what we are seeing, though, is it's always what people don't say that are in these budgets that are really, really interesting. So I, I do. I do not see any more rate increases coming into um, 2020, I think, once things have an opportunity to balance themselves. But with the partnership program that was floated out by the federal government, it was very interesting to see, with most home purchases being in B.C. and Toronto overall, just due to the size of the population, sure. um, it was very interesting to see with this partnership program that they didn't actually take into consideration that B.C. has actually had something similar in the past that um, was taken was gotten rid of once the NDP came into into power and with the new partnership program that comes out it's obviously more favored towards new home construction but new home construction is expected to have an oversupply of inventory into 2020 when these um, pre-sales get completed. So it's what they didn't say in the budget on why they offered that partnership program that really I think was telltale in respect to where you might see a little more opportunity as we get more into 2020,
1: you and I, I can recall a year ago, about a year ago now, uh, as these rate interest rate increases were kicking in and you and i had a, a good conversation about you now how to make adjustments and it, it just turned out that 2018 was a year in which roughly 50 percent of canadian mortgage holders were up for renewal and of course interest rates were on the way up at exactly the same time you remember that conversation now mm-hmm. but uh, as we look ahead in 2019 you already said i don't expect any more increases this year now there's even some scuttle about about a possible decrease I don't see that myself how about you
0: it will really depend on how things continue to unfold. And I would say that obviously the election and what happens with this oversupply will continue to, uh, time time will have to tell in this respect because the economic factors are just not available to make those decisions. And I think that's a really important piece of information for people to consider when they are making their decisions. You have to make the decisions based on the economic data that you have available to you because all the data that goes into de- Determining what will happen with interest rates is yet to happen. So nobody can honestly say that they know exactly what will happen of course. in any span beyond six Months, mm-hmm. So I, I really do think that when you are making these decisions, it is important to look at the data and how it relates to you because there's so many factors that you can't control in the market, but all you can control is what is affordable for me. How do I protect myself with the right mortgage product and the right mortgage lender? And how do I position myself to be protected against anything that can happen, whether interest rates go up or interest rates go down? And that has everything to do with the mortgage product that you select and the lender that you select.
1: Interesting. Now, I wanted. to Ask you about because you've already talked about this uh, in terms of activity and and pricing. Uh, are buyers because you're the one that buyers go to? You're a mortgage broker, one of the best in the country, and you see a lot of these first time buyers and so on. Are buyers uh, at this point they're going through the the process of prequalification, of course, but are they just also at the same time telling you things like we want to get pre-approved because we're ready to get in the game, but we're not too keen on today's prices, and since they seem to be coming off to some degree, we're going to hold off and see if they come off a bit more, and we can get a better bang for what we pre-qualified for.
0: It really actually depends on the strategic partner that they've chosen and how educated they are on the market because okay. depending on the the neighborhood that they need to live in based on their lifestyle, which is going to have the lowest cost of living for them, proximity to work, proximity to school, activities for children – those neighborhoods, not all neighborhoods, represent the same amount of oversupply. And I have to say that I haven't seen an interest. Um, nobody has inquired about waiting to see how the partnership program comes out, no, which is anticipated to come out. in Not September. in this market. It's
1: too expensive here.
0: Yeah. So, with that in mind, nobody is really waiting. They're taking a, if they've been a pre approval for the last three years. They're seeing success. If they're newly getting pre-approved, they are learning what options are available in what market. And if the price is right, they're not waiting. They're making their move because what we know is that cycles go up and down. Sure. And as soon as that inventory gets taken, they're going to miss their opportunity. And so they've been through the cycle of rent increasing They've been if they've been renting for a period of time and if they can afford to get into the market based on what's available today, they are making the move. They're not waiting.
1: Interesting. Angela, once you are pre-approved for a particular amount by a lender, how long does that pre-approval stand alone before you need to go back and and get re-approved?
0: That's a really good question. And I actually, I'd like to bring it back to a few different words that we've thrown around here. Okay. We've talked about pre-qualification, which pre-qualification is something that everybody has. We have it on our app in our office and you see it advertised heavily. And it's that pre-qualification in 60 seconds. That is more of an entertainment tool that doesn't take into consideration your actual credit score, right. the method of your income, anything like that. So it's a great. Place, you know, when you're curious, but it's only step one of a longer stage process. Step two is pre-approval, which means that you actually submit the appropriate documentation due for that time period in order to actually have um, a human being review your documents to ensure that you can utilize as much of the income as you're earning Mm -hmm. and see what lenders are going to be available to you based on your income and based on your credit score. But that only takes you so far because there are certain lenders who will be the best for you based on your personal customization and your personal circumstances. But then the pre-approval looks at your income and credit. It will take the snapshot of what it is then, but then there's some documentation that's not going to be relevant until you actually have an accepted offer in place. And that's when you actually apply for the approval part of the process. And the lender always reserves the right to ask for more documentation, to not um not withstand their approval and so working with an independent mortgage professional you're going to have the opportunity to ha- modify your strategy quickly if need be because some lenders that have the best interest rates won't even do a rate hold because they don't it costs lenders money in order to hold the rates sure. and other lenders will do a rate hold for 120 130 days so um, once that time period is gone though most lenders actually do require a credit, updated credit report within 30 days of the closing date. So your closing date plays a role in it. The property that you select plays a role in it. And that's why it's so important to have a partner working with you throughout the duration of the process who's experienced and understanding what the journey is going to mean for you because... The journey for your neighbor or your mom or your dad or your sister or your brother could be very different depending on the time in which they're buying, the lenders that have the best options at that time, the unique property that you're purchasing and your specific credit and income profile.
1: Right. And so uh, once – okay. uh, But again, I suppose I'm I'm still waiting for – once I've gone through the process, I've been uh, been given the green light, I've been approved for X amount. uh, How long does that stay – approved and then uh, and, and, and then it expires that's what I meant what's the sta- the, so, the statute of limitations on a, on a pre-approved mortgage
0: 90 to 130 days aha
1: okay all right and and then you need to go back and reapply is that how it works?
0: Uh, depending on the situation in the market, yes, but the lender will always do a 30-day review within the time period. So if you're writing an offer and the time period goes beyond that, then you know you have to look at all the options that are available. But on average, you can expect 90 to 120 days for a rate hold.
1: Our guest on the program back with us again after almost a year absence. And that's far too long, by the way, Angela. Great to have you with us. Angelacala.ca is the website. Angela has one L. Calla has two. Angela, Cala.ca. If you'd like to join the conversation, we have a more, one of Canada's best mortgage experts on the program for the next uh, half hour or so. And if you have any questions, if you're in the middle of all of this right now trying to sort it all out and it's getting a little thick, give us a call. Angela can help straighten things out. 604-280-9898. We're back with lots more after the news. Welcome back to the program. Sterling Fox in studio on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, joined on the line by Angela Calla, author of The Mortgage Code. I wanted to ask you about the book, Angela, because I know it's doing very well for you. It's been out now for, what, six months at least, right?
0: Yes, yes, about that. I haven't actually been keeping track. Yeah, we've uh, been out for six months.
1: Yes, and and you're, you're, uh, you're on the bestseller list locally. And the nice part about all of this, it's a really helpful book. And... You're not pocketing a lot of the money here. You're giving the money to, which hospital is it again, Eagle
0: Ridge? Yeah, I'm a resident of Port Moody, and my office is in Port Coquitlam, so I look at every opportunity I can to enhance community and be a leader in in the way that, you know, we can all contribute, so for myself, I decided that this year the proceeds were going to go to the Eagle Ridge Hospital Foundation because we're really trying to build a new emergency room, Mm. and so, you know, if you're a Tri-City resident, you know that generally um, it really needs a refresh. It was only expected initially when that hospital was built to see about Twenty thousand patients through the ER a year, and now we're seeing over a hundred thousand just due to how fast our municipality has sure, grown. Yeah. And I, I believe that health is wealth, and when we're not well, it's nothing better than having your family members closer. And I know myself, my husband got into a serious car accident a few days after we had our baby daughter, and it was just torture for me not being able to kind of go down there and see him with a toddler and a newborn baby because he was all the way in New West, and it was just a lot. So I just thought, wow, we need to work together to see what we can do to have a better, better opportunity in our local community.
1: Well, good for you. And, and the book, friends, is entitled The Mortgage Code, uh, helping you move up the property ladder, get the best mortgage, avoid costly mistakes, and save money. How much does the book cost, Angela?
0: It's available on Amazon, and it's actually on Audible as well, um, narrated by myself, and okay. it's also an ebook. So you can choose whichever distribution method. They all have different costs that are associated with it. So you can go to... Um, amazon.com or .ca depending on where you are listening to this beautiful show this Saturday afternoon and determine which is best for you but i think the ebook is about $10 the audible i think is 24.95 and the hard copy is 30 just about $30
1: well and the good part about it is it's also helping out the Eagle Ridge Hospital new emergency room agenda so good for you i'm quoting from your website angelacala.ca i do this every time we talk and i think it's important Equally every time we talk quote there are generally two ways to get a mortgage in Canada from a bank or From a licensed mortgage professional. Please explain the difference between the two
0: Oh happily, i um, the reason why I wrote that book uh, the mortgage code was to elevate educate and really empower Canadians and whenever any Person goes to any lender directly on their own to get a mortgage They are only being sold what that particular product is. And as Canadians, we don't necessarily think of banks as businesses, but their obligation is to make the most amount of money for their shareholders, just like an employee of any network would be. We don't promote other networks. We promote our own. Mm -hmm. And when when that much, when your money is on the line and your investment, what they're not telling you costs the most amount of money to consumers. And so- So as an independent mortgage professional, we have access to many dozens and dozens of lenders, and we help demystify the process on which lender has the best rate and the best terms and the best package for your entire situation. And it doesn't matter to us if we place your mortgage with a major bank, which is where we place a lot of the mortgages, or a monoline lender that only gives mortgages to Canadians Mm. and they're using money from the major institutions, but they have far better terms. And I really got into the why behind everything mortgage in the book because I found it to be just so fascinating. And when I really learned the difference between how much consumers can get ahead and what the difference is in having a partner that's there to help you become Mm mortgage-free and help you have the best mortgage throughout the duration of your life compared to the average bank employee Employee works at the banks for between two to five years. And then how do they move up the how do they move up the ladder? Whereas having a mortgage professional by your side is like having a really good doctor that's there to help you achieve your health goals and keep everything in check and work together with you throughout all the different stages in your life. So it's really a completely different experience. Um, a bank is there to do the best thing for them and an uh, an independent mortgage provider is there to help you without bias, give you the power of choice and clarity and you don't pay us for the service because wherever the mortgage is placed, they pay us for bringing them the perfect client that they know has is indeed the perfect client for them because they've been selected unbiasedly.
1: Right. Well, interesting bonus for the consumer. Uh, didn't uh, We had not emphasized that part perhaps as much as we could have in the past. Uh, that's an interesting twist to the plot. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the difference. Suppose now, you're pre-approved for X amount. And the property you're interested in buying costs X plus $100,000 100000 bucks, and you don't have hundred grand to make up the difference. So now you're looking at the bank of mom and dad or some kind of secondary lender. And I'm led to believe that in the past year or two, secondary lender activity across Canada has pretty much doubled and a little beyond that. So where do secondary lenders factor into all of this and they, are they legit, Angela?
0: Oh, they're completely legit. Um, they're just providing different options. There's different lenders for every different source, but you said a very interesting thing. And, you know, you either qualify or you don't. Yeah. You, the lenders are all lenders and mortgage brokers. We all work on the same qualifications. Lenders have minor um modifications that allow you to use different incomes and whatnot, but it really comes down to the equity in your property and what product is needed. So you may not be able to get secondary financing if you're looking for something beyond 80% of your property's value because that's just something that's simply not available. And okay. secondary lenders want to protect their position. So they're generally not lending to people over 65% to 75% in today's market because they've seen that home values are coming down and also they're protecting themselves, their investors. Sure. So there's not people out there that are going to lend you um, endless amounts of money, regardless of what you're willing to do or pay. And a mortgage professional's role and responsibility is to go over the pros and cons of all the options that are available. And sometimes, to be honest with you, when there's an option, just because an option is available doesn't mean that it's a good option. It's for the client to decide what they want to do, Mm -hmm. but it's also our responsibility to – we have to tell the secondary lenders, should they choose to go for that type of financing, what the exit strategy is. And if they can't see an exit strategy and you don't have an exit strategy, regardless – They're not looking to loan you the money. Nobody wants to foreclose on a home. Sure.
1: Interesting stuff. I have a 420 question for you, Ms. Calla. Talk to us a little bit about the risks of purchasing a property with a Mm. cannabis history, perhaps a a grow-up once upon a long time ago. Uh, What are the risks associated with acquiring a property like that?
0: You will certainly have limited lender options. We see a lot of people that contact us asking us about this. And because, especially now, because it is quote unquote legal Mm -hmm. in some aspects, uh, just because that's the case, that doesn't mean that that's something that the lending institutions have gone to. Lending institutions have classifications for properties, A properties, B properties, and you know, C properties as well. And so they would actually classify that as something that they would not lend on and they only it's actually not in anybody's policy that they will lend on it they will only do it on a case by case basis so where i've actually seen them get financed is for high level people who actually work in the bank or for people who actually have enough money in the bank that they don't require a mortgage so it's a really not when you look at why you have home ownership, you have home ownership for security, for financial security, to have the ability to move up and down the property ladder, to have access to your equity. If those are all things that you want, it's simply not an open market for people who are going to want your business. So with that in mind, you could be stuck.
1: Interesting stuff. Did not know any of that. I'm glad I asked. Uh, back to mm-hmm. the, the the difference between a mortgage professional and a bank uh, and and and, uh, uh, and the reasons to seek out uh, a good mortgage professional basically on your side through the whole process. The question is, if you decide, no, I don't need that. I'm, I'm a smart person. I can handle all this myself. Good luck. Nonetheless, if you make that call and you start bank shopping, can you damage your credit? credit score by simply going from bank A to B to C, inquiring about mortgage terms and conditions?
0: Significantly. And also if you're doing it with different brokers. Um, and it's always, again, what you don't know that people don't tell you. So each bank that you go to, it takes five points off of your score. When you use a mortgage professional, we use one application to shop multiple lenders. uh uh-huh. And also, it's how the lenders look. When the lenders look at your credit report and they see there's one application at this lender, there's been an application here, there's been an application there, not only are you hurting your credit, but you're getting a flag for fraud because they feel that maybe you're not getting the answers that you want and that you're modifying your application in order to get that. So that will actually cause delay and further confusion in the approval process. And that's just because people don't know that option. And that's why, again, I had to write about that in the book because people think that, well, I'm just shopping. It's an honor to have my business. That's right, sure. And it absolutely is. But it's not how the lenders are looking at it because they're thinking, you know, you are someone who's gone to multiple places. What is wrong? This person doesn't understand the process. Ah. But when you go directly to an institution, they're not there to tell you that because their job is to sell. So if they can sell you something, they're not obligated to tell you what the difference is between this lender or that lender. It is a numbers game.
1: Interesting stuff. Now, back to the title of the book, the subtitle of the book, helping you move up the property ladder, get the best mortgage. This is the part that I want to zoom in on for a second. Avoid costly mistakes. When you deal particularly with first-time home buyers, Angela, who come to you, oh, just trying to navigate the maze, uh, talk about costly mistakes that without your guidance and assistance, they could very easily have made.
0: Certainly the costly mistake of getting multiple credit checks. No,
1: oh, okay. Right.
0: Certainly the costly mistake of not understanding the differences, uh, thinking that it's about the interest rate. The interest rate is not the most significant factor. It's one of the contributing factors to the amount that you pay, but it's not the most significant. And for decades, consumers have been marketed to and misled that it's the interest rate, but it's actually the terms of the mortgage. They've also been notified or there's a monoline lenders who use the bank's money to provide mortgages but they have the best terms in the country. Mm. It's the difference between paying retail or or being able to get the best option. If if you take a big bank, if you have a $300,000 mortgage to get out of that $300,000 mortgage in year 3 on average it can be $15,000 in a penalty. If you have the best credit, the best income, provable down payment, and you are of the highest elite in terms of those things and also selecting an A property, then you actually qualify for a mortgage that has terms that to get out of that mortgage at any time would only be $3,500. Oh, okay. So there's a significant difference, but you wouldn't know that because that's not an option that's available to the public. It's only available when you go to an accredited mortgage professional. And if you go to a lender directly, they're not going to tell you, hey, we have a subsidiary that can get you way better terms than what we have because that's not their job. Right. Their job is to sell you their product. Yeah, exactly. So. That's why as soon as I learned what a mortgage broker did at the young age of 20 years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do because my parents were one of the first people in their generation to use a mortgage broker and learn about that and learn that, hey, there's different options out there. Oh my goodness. And so, you know, when I learned that this was a career path that you could take and how it could empower people. I always felt that it's always what you know and who you align yourself with. And when you learn how to navigate the system to the best of your ability, that's what gets you ahead in life.
1: Ah, and navigate is a pretty good verb to use these days because it certainly hasn't gotten any less complicated to purchase a home or even sell a home in, in recent years with local, federal, municipal uh, uh, taxes and add-ons and such. So, uh, yeah, it, it it just keeps getting to be a maze in need of navigation. Thank goodness for professionals like you, Angela. Great to have you back on the show again. And friends, if you'd like to get a copy of Angela's book, The Mortgage Code, go to Amazon.ca or Amazon com And uh, as Angela's pointed out, there are several versions. The hard copy, there's an e-version uh, as narrated by Ms. Calla, no less. Uh, and uh, and have a look. Learn how to, well, save money with Angela Calla. And the website, angelacalla.ca. Angela with one L, Calla with two. Angela, always a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us on a busy Easter weekend and enjoy the balance of the long weekend.
0: Thank you so much. I'm always here for you.
1: I appreciate that. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to Angela Calla for another very helpful visit next weekend. The world-class dentist from BC Perio return, as will John Carlson from 1% Realty. Johnny 1% will be back next Saturday. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time, our producer Ben Dooley wants to know, should residential streets all be
2: 30-kilometer-per-hour zones? Thanks, Sterling. Should BC lower unposted speed limits on residential streets to 30 kilometers an hour? It's an idea being promoted by Vancouver Green Party councillor Pete Fry, who wants to see the province drop the default speed limit on local streets. So It's not an especially onerous speed limit, uh, but it saves lives. Vancouver City Council. He says communities could raise speed limits back up on a case by case basis, but under the proposal, cities wouldn't need dedicated signage about the lower limits as they currently do in school or park zones. Fry also rejected the idea it would be a government intrusion on people's lives, saying motorists could still drive fast on highways and arterials. So, it's just an opportunity to make things safer. It's not really a nanny straight intrusion. If you want to drive fast, you can still do so on highways. BC Transportation Minister Claire Trevenna was non committal when asked about the idea. Very interested that Vancouver is uh, calling for this. I know that a number
1: of communities also want to see a reduction in speed limits, something that we continue to
2: assess. Fry's motion also asks Vancouver to develop a 30 km per hour speed limit pilot project focused on mixed-mode use, reduced speeds, and complementary road design with a mechanism to record and analyze before and after data. Council will vote on the motion next Tuesday. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thank you, Ben. Kind of a controversial one. We'll see
1: how that plays out around the council table in a few days up there at 12th and Camby. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we have to go. And I'm quoting from research company's Mario Conseco here. Quote, throughout the course of this century, British Columbia has been the most irreligious province in Canada. In the 2001 national census, 35% of British Columbians claimed to have no religion when they filed their forms. By 2011, 10 years later, the proportion rose significantly to 44%. We will need to wait for at least a couple of years for a new official assessment, assessment rather from Statistics Canada. However, with Easter around the corner, it's a good time to take a look at the state of religion in British Columbia. That's the preamble to a poll that Mario Canseco and his team at Research Company have released in the past couple of days. And here are some of the findings. 61% of British Columbians can be described as strong or moderate believers. Women are more likely to be convinced that God exists than men. On a regional basis, strong belief in God is highest in northern B.C. and southern B.C., but drops markedly on Vancouver Island and here in the lower mainland. By a two-to-one margin, British Columbians are more likely to say there is a God. In spite of this high number of devotees, going to church every week is something that only a tiny minority is currently doing. Two thirds of British Columbians, as in sixty-seven percent say they never attend religious services other than weddings, baptisms, or funerals. The proportion of residents who choose not to participate in religious services is highest. Among millennials, the eighteen to thirty-four year olds, falls off a little bit among Gen Xers, thirty-five to fifty four year olds, and among Baby boomers, uh, it is at the uh, lowest percentage. In other words, baby boomers participate the most. Mario will join us, by the way, on the weekend morning show tomorrow morning at 7.05 to talk more about this study and its findings. And that is pretty much our show for this week. Produced by Ben Dooley, Andrew Ferreira is at the controls today. And if you have any thoughts or suggestions for our show, we would all appreciate hearing from you. Uh, You can send them along to us to sterling at cknw.com. Or you can tweet your stuff to us at VanConsumer. And don't forget, you can listen to us anytime at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sterling Fox. Enjoy the rest of this lovely long weekend. Back with you on the morning show here on CKNW tomorrow. And join us again next Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver Consumer.